The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. Everywhere you go, MTN. On the menu today, we've also had a lot of uh, interest from investors, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm very careful of uh, because I think you need to know people well before you commit mm. them to your business. Energy says, How do I imbue a culture, a narrative in my own organization that says there's not one chairman, not one CEO? that the thousand and one employees are also equally CEOs because they own the company as much as the CEO does. Now for his next expansion plan, he can leverage that even further. He can say, I want to buy out my two competitors, it's 30 million rand, and by the way, besides what's happening there, uh, here's this property I can put on the table, Mr. Bank. Hello and welcome to the Big, Big, Big Small Business Show. This is the show for you, our entrepreneurs out there. Whether you've just started your business uh, and are needing advice on how to use all that money you've just raised, or you are scaling your business and need some help around how to actually scale from a systems and process point of view, this is the show for you. This is our panel section, and with me in studio, I've got our two gurus. I've got Mona Lisa Sam. Welcome. Thank you, Alain. And Mona Lisa, of course, is our marketing guru. And Kumaran Padiachi. Welcome. How's it? He is our finance guru. Now, our guest in studio today is Porsche Mgomezulu, founder of uh, and CEO of Porsche M Skin Solutions. They manufacture various beauty products, and the main ingredient is marula oil. Let's have a look. Porsche M is a registered company that manufactures and supplies luxury skincare products that help produce healthier and hydrated skin. Founder and managing director Porsche Mgomezulu explains what sparked her passion for skincare. I'm a girl who loves beautiful things and who loves making other people beautiful. But at the heart of it all, I'm a real entrepreneur. Um, when I grew up, I always sold something. You know, uh, I was one of those friends away who would find out what works on your hair, what works on your skin. Um, I did a lot of research on what uh, ingredients to use uh, that will totally transform your skin and make it better. Pusha M is a skincare brand. Uh, we manufacture skincare products, which include your facial and body care products. Porsche sources clientele through word of mouth, but has also seen exponential results through social media platforms where she interacts with her customers online. On a monthly basis, I think we interact with over 20,000 people on social media, because that's our biggest platform where we get to engage with our customers. The company has been in operation for seven years with an annual turnover of 16 million. Initially running all daily operations by herself, Porsche now has 27 permanent employees. There was a year where I had only one employee and today we employ over 27 people permanently and we are in uh, 1,200 stores nationwide. Uh, we also sell our products in Botswana, Namibia and Swaziland. 
when I first got here, I was the only employee. I started off as an intern and now I'm the production supervisor. With how things are going right now, I really think that we'll be probably having another branch somewhere else because really uh, everything has been growing like so quick. Portia has been under the limelight, having won the Pick and Pay 2018 Small Supplier of the Year Award, received the Agro Processing and Overall Entrepreneur of the Year Award from the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. But even with all these titles under her belt, she has faced many challenges along the way. Uh, there's def there has been a lot of challenges, <laughs> one of them being uh, capital, you know, um, running a business is not easy if there's no capital. Um, however, I've been fortunate to meet people who would see the passion and give me shelf space to sell and then pay me within seven days. And Pick and Pay has been one of those retailers. The short-term goals will definitely be to saturate the market in South Africa. Um, I mean, we've got 57 million people and if four million of those people can afford our products, we want them to get their hands on our products. So there's still a lot of work to do in South Africa alone. The advice it will be to manage the growth, because growth can be scary. Um, it's nice to say, oh, I'm growing, but uh, growth can be a very uh, exciting and a scary Thing at the same time, you know, managing that, uh, managing the finances, um, managing the expectations from the customer and to continue to deliver on time because that has what sets us apart from the other small suppliers because we try to meet our target. Well, as you heard, Porsche would like our guidance on how to manage growth as she is about to expand into a range of baby products. Welcome, Porsche. Thank you so much for inviting me again. Again, and you've been here before and you have uh, done incredibly well since we last saw you. Thank you so much, just because I took your advice. <laughs> well, what advice did, did we give you? <laughs> well, it was very good advice because first of all, you said I must um, grow my brand and make it more visible. When Alisa gave that advice, I remember. Um, and she said, I must try and market as much as I can because the other big guys uh, will see what I'm doing. And if I keep doing it on a small scale, it might be a bit of a threat to my brand. So I went ahead and did that on a bigger scale on social media. And now we've got over 200,000 followers on Facebook, over 15,000 on Instagram and over 4,000 Twitter followers. And I've noticed that a lot of celebrities as well are taking note of our brand. Fantastic. Yes. Now let's talk about the, the, the scale. You've gone from one person to 26, 27 there. Um, yes. Now you've got opportunity, opportunity to expand further. Do you anticipate doubling, tripling? I'm trying to get a sense of what you're expecting from a growth point of view. I believe we can triple. Uh, we can go as far as we can now because we've got the facilities. The last time when I came here, mm. we didn't have enough machinery. Yes. Uh, if you watch the last video, we're still mixing in a 100 milliliter tank. Yes. And now we've got a thousand liters, a few tanks of that. So we can, we are able to meet the demand. Mm. However, there is a bit of fear, you know, uh, to manage that growth properly. And, and capital for the growth, have you got that uh, lined up or is that something still to do? 
Well, capital is there and uh, the funding institutions now are willing to fund us. Mm -hmm. At first we were high risk, <laughs> but now um, they are open to funding us as well, yeah. Um, Portia, you know what I wanted to, you know, you st spoke about the fear and that um, we've, I mean, we've, I've been here now four years and that's normally because the entrepreneur knows there's something in the business that if exaggerated or expanded might be that trigger uh, for that, you know, collapse, if I can use that word. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you believe um, within the business is possibly a, a, a weak spot that you need to, to, to gear for this growth? I think, uh, you know, um, when you are still a small business, obviously the retailers, they give you favorable payment rates. Mm -hmm. And that's how we've managed to survive until this far. Um, as explained, like pick and pay will give you seven days and all of that. But as you grow, they treat you like the big giants. Uh, now you move into 40 days or 60 days mm -hmm. and that can cripple your capital. You know, especially if the demand grows as much as we anticipate it to be. Mm. The fear is both uh, exciting, excitement of saying, you know what, the more I get people to get my products and commit to them, the greater my brand will be. But at the same <coughs> time, uh, will I manage with the capital? You know, let's say one retail store takes all my stock this week and next week another one, it's more. Uh, mm. What happens then? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to take a break now. When we come back, we'll continue with more questions for Porsche. This is the Big Small Business Show, and our guest in studio today is Portia Mgomezulu from Portia M Skin Solutions. Before the break, we're getting a sense of uh, what's happened since she was here last and uh, what she's expecting in terms of growth. Kamara? Okay, so a few questions. The first one around your financial management. In the clip, you said something about that. So yes. who currently handles that? Currently, I've got an in-house bookkeeper and we've got an uh, outsourced accountant who signs off our financials. Once a year. Once a year. Uh, however, every month we do have management accounts and um, I'm still able to control um, uh, the finances in the business. I pay myself a salary, so everything is orderly. I, I try my best to manage that part carefully. Who produces the management accounts? is the bookkeeper, our in-house bookkeeper. Okay. So every month we've got a board meeting where we discuss uh, the finances, where our expenses, where we can cut off um, or where we've overspent yeah. and check our profitability as well. Then I, on your growth, you've got, you've got one retailer that you were. No, uh, I've got five. You've got five. Yes. But the one that's referred to in the clip was uh, Pick and Pay. Was Pick and Pay. Okay, so how big are they in relation to everyone else? Uh, basically, they are our number one, but um, ShopRite and Checkhouse is catching up, mm. and we're currently with Clicks. Mm. Um, and they've so are you trying to grow by uh, being into more retailers? 
and uh, global location and distribution basically or more product in the same retailers are you trying to expand by product or i'm trying to expand mainly by region and um, to get more people actually to get hold of the product um, as well as the new baby range um, I, there's a lot of demand from the people that are using our current products. They also wanted to use it on, on their babies. So hence we came up with a baby range. However, we are still comfortable as far as the product range is concerned. Um, we would like though to grow per region and to access more people. Can I ask a question? The baby range, does it have, I imagine, a, does it need a new kind of methodology? I mean, it will have the, the Amarula uh, yes. oil. But because of you know sensitivities, is this going to be a new, you know, what what implications on your business and 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 facilities will it have? Uh, basically, it has to be tested. What will, it has been tested on our side. Mm -hmm. uh, a retailer like Pick and Pay has taken it. Um, they want to brand it under their brand as well. So that is another. Um, market that we are looking at mm. uh, that is obviously a done deal but they are still testing it in their labs mm. to see if it's some everything is safe and if there's anything that needs to be fixed so you're producing it for pick and pay as a pick and pay brand or will it still be Porsche M baby range? there will still be we'll still have Porsche M for baby okay. but we'll also produce one for pick and pay oh, under see. their brand okay yeah. two questions <coughs> questions from from me around uh, a comment you made around Every of the financiers were coming to you now and were more likely to fund you. Is that in writing? Have they provided perhaps an overdraft facility or commitments mm -hmm. for the future growth? Or is that just, just yeah, we will come to us later? Um, def uh, with our bank, yeah. um, they, they have provided an overdraft facility and a promise that should we need more, uh, they are willing to do so. Um, we've also had a lot of uh, interest from investors, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm very careful of, uh, because I think you need to know people well before you commit mm. them to your business. However, I'm glad that our banks are coming on board should we need uh, a money facility. To be Second question for me is around your management accounts, which Kumaran spoke about, the margin. Are you measuring your margin uh, in your management accounts, your GP? We are me me uh, measuring that currently, um, how we grow, the margin on how we grow. Are we still sustaining our growth or are we growing even more? Is, is your, uh, my question really is, is your margin improving, flat it's or decreasing? It's improving. Improving. Yeah. How? Okay. Why? Uh, our profits. Uh, because the reason why it's improving as well, uh, the more products we buy or the more bulk we buy of packaging, the prices become mm. less or the more material we buy mm. uh, the pricing becomes better yeah. so okay. that increases our profitability. I, ha I have to ask this you're talking about growth and capacity for growth what is your people uh, level below you so it's you you got this bookkeeper and then basically yeah. it's me then I've got a production manager right. then mm. I've got a production supervisor then I've got the bookkeeper in the office, mm. then I've got administrators, mm. then I've got two marketing officers, mm. and I've got uh, one intern who's doing HR, and the rest of the factory staff. What do you think your next hire is gonna be? What role? My next hire, um, 
definitely would be uh, an overseer of the business, work less hand in hand on everything, but to just look at the business and plan ahead. And obviously still manage my relationships with the big retailers. So like a general manager? CEO, almost like an yes. operations manager. Yes. From operations or uh, overall? From an operations, operations. perspective, okay. uh, because I think I'm passionate about perspective, uh, operations, and I'm passionate about relationships. Mm. So I still want to maintain that with my yeah. customers. Do you think uh, if you bring in a new product uh, that uh, it's going to take the focus away from your mainstay product? Will you dilute your current product? Is it a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? It's actually a good thing. Uh, I think one of the smartest things we've done is though, even though Marula is our main ingredient, we've, cr we've <coughs> built the brand Porsche M. <coughs> so even when people comment on the product, they don't say Marula products, they say Porsche M products. Yeah. So we've built a brand. Now we, we can actually come up with another ingredient, but under the Porsche M brand, and I think it will still do very well. Okay. That's it uh, for our middle section. We're going to come back with summaries straight after this. This is the Big Small Business Show, and our guest in studio today is Porsche Mgomezulu from Porsche M Skin Solutions. Now, before the break, we were trying to understand uh, the... Uh, financial support of the business, the margins, etc. But uh, now it's time for our summaries. We're going to start with you, Kumar. All right. The first thing is about the people side, and the other is about strategy. You know, uh, to help you. So on the people side, you mentioned your next hire when I asked you what would be. You said like a, a general operations person. So I would also add a more senior financial person. Either having an outsourced service of accountant that you, you do outsource the guy once a year. I'm talking about outsourcing where someone's able to produce better reports for you and able to meet with you once a month. So I would, I would add that, and as time goes on, you want a more senior financial person internally. So think about that, have that on your radar. And there's this operations person, hire them now. Make that investment to go now. If you're feeling it's getting a bit uh, you know, scary already, then that's a good sense. Bring that operations person in immediately. That's what I would do. Uh, then on the on the strategy side, you know, simplistically, there's three ways to grow. You can grow by moving into different geography, think distribution. You can add new products, or you can go into new markets, new 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 customer types. And uh, for me, I think you've got a long way to go still on the first part. And you said it, you said you'd prefer first to go into the distribution. Only when you're like saturated, you're into every foreseeable retailer, big chunk into independence, and you've got depth into, that, into their distribution, then I would think about looking elsewhere in terms of products. Yes, you're doing the baby range now, fine, but I wouldn't go in that direction. It's, that's going to complicate your growth and bring in more complexity right now. Um, once you've got that layer, then you can add on more onto that platform. <coughs> yeah, I think, you know, for me, I'm, I'm almost a deja vu um, in terms of my advice. Um, you know, with particular, I know the, the, the baby product is a done deal, 
but you know the one thing that has continued to set you apart Porsche is almost the intimacy you have with the brand besides it being the name if you, you the story that came from you using a mar marilla oil and as a mother yourself I think that's going to be key in the baby range product so I, I'm I'm not saying that's the case I'm 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 worried that it's a baby range because you know we can do the baby range and so it hasn't uh, you haven't perhaps not have the time now to say if I was a mother and now that I'm a mother and what are the elements that I I worry about in terms of my, because that's what made Porsche M work that's what makes it work so I don't want you to get into a situation where the baby range is almost like a contradiction to what the promise of the brand is. So I think just just give that some thought and say, have I dedicated my allness in making sure that this product delivers on a promise versus just introducing a range because the, the name opportunity is there. Um, so I think that person personal um, involvement is going to be key in that in that product range. That's my, my view. Pusha from from my perspective there's an author that uh, I know Kumar and I both uh, follow very closely, Gakul Vern Harnish, who talks about scale. Um, and he speaks about three things that are necessary for scale, that is systems, talent or people, and capital. I, I would add a fourth one, which is profitable markets to that. So I just want to go through that and just maybe one or two other things to think about. Now is the time to st start building systems in terms of documented systems for growth. You will never, there, you will never have time in the future to, to write them. So start writing them now. It's incredibly important. Particularly if you're going to start to scale, you need to hand over processes to other people that, that are replicable and that they can follow. The second thing around the talent or the people is, and I, I know where Kuman was alluding, but for me, it's about creating a structure for scale, and that is your, your, your team. And I think what Kamaran was pushing is saying that your weakness is going to be your, financial, your financials, and I'm going to touch on why I think he thinks that, and, and the operations side uh, as well. So it's, be, it's creating the structure, an exco, a manco, or some kind of structure within the organization to handle the growth of the future and to start thinking about what that looks like now. The, the third one, which is the capital, uh, it looks like you've squared that away, but I'm going to come back to that on my next point, which is profitable markets. My experience uh, vicariously around your type of business is that the margins is actually where you lose out. There's a certain number which is around 40 to 45% margin. If you're not maintaining that in terms of your scale, mm -hmm you actually will, you will go insolvent. I mean, that's the bottom line. And very often people who are in scale actually just follow the top number and forget about the actual the, the GP number, that margin, which they have to look after more preciously than the top line. And that, to me, is where you need to focus is that on that GP number. And yes, you've got economies of scale coming through, but on the other side, your expenses as well is going to grow in terms of the, all these people that are going to add in a management layer and the complexities and automation systems. And all these are, are expenses that are, you have to be maintained by that margin. So focus on margin, margin, margin. And the last point I just really want to make is around something that uh, Mona Lisa spoke about, which is around the brand. 
A big mistake that small businesses make as they grow is not understanding the difference between product and brand. Mm. Okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a brand, which is the Uber brand that sits at the top, and then the products might, might have a brand. And people don't know when to cleave the, the, because the brand becomes the product. Okay. And, and as they add new products, those products actually are made irrelevant by the big brand because people don't know how to differentiate the, the, the products within that brand because the brand is so strong. So you've got to be, think very clearly about how, what your brand strategy is and what your product strategy is from a branding point of view. Please stay tuned to see what's coming up after the break. We'll be right back. My leadership style is to look at maybe energy rather than just raw power. This is the Big Small Business Show and this is our leadership segment. Today we have a very special guest uh, in studio with us, somebody who's no stranger to the Big Small Business Show. Uh, it's Bonang Mohale. He is CEO of Business Leadership South Africa. And today we're going to be talking about the concept of influence and how that relates to leadership. How does it relate to leadership? So we spoke a little bit about creative movement. The next biggest thing is influence. Influence is consciously, purposefully, deliberately using your energy judiciously. Most leaders say, you will because I say so. They depend on positional power. They depend on the C-suite. They depend on their title. If you do that, that to me is akin to a speedboat. That you turn the throttle, you feel the V8 engine, your body gets pushed back into the seat, the nose points up, and it is sheer raw power. And there are a lot of leaders that still lead that way. But by definition, a speedboat has a limited radius, maybe 32 kilometers in the middle of the ocean. If you go outside of it, you'll come back pushing the ski boat. My leadership style is to look at maybe energy rather than just raw power. This is a sailboat. It makes no noise. It's not pretentious, it's not arrogant, it's not self-centered and egocentric. By turning the, the, the direction of the sail, you harness the force, the impetus of the wind. If you do that, you go outside the 32-kilometer radius. You can circumnavigate the world not once, but as many times as you want. Energy says, how do I imbue a culture a narrative in my own organization that says there's not one chairman, not one CEO, that the thousand and one employees are also equally CEOs because they own the company as much as the CEO does because nobody has the monopoly on wisdom. Some of the cleverest, most innovative ideas come from people who are doing janitorial services. If we get that right, locally, you then start having a conversation by saying, you know, I trust my employees because I know they will act in the best interest of the company because I've given them the permission to own the company, to think, to reflect, to innovate because creativity is thinking new things. Innovation is doing new things. Do they have the power to do that? Trust matters because the more we abuse this trust, 
the more we go apart from our employees, the more we lose the glue that holds us together in common fate. So when trust is taken as a given, the only logical next step is to invite conflict. Because in healthy organization, you're wanting people deliberately that don't look like you, that don't come from the same background as you are, because you are looking for density, diversity, and inclusiveness. So you have trust, you have now invited conflict because it is good that people should argue, should engage, should reflect, should debate profoundly and robustly. When they emerge, they say what's in the best interest of the company, not who had the cleverest or the loudest voice. Thirdly, you then commit to action. Because in the final analysis, great wars are won by good execution, not great plans. Because good execution will save even a mediocre plan. So you want a nation of doers, a company of doers, a division of people that have a propensity for action. Therefore, committing to action, even though it's not your idea, to say it came from one of my colleagues. When I leave this meeting, I'm going to put systems and processes in place as if it's my very own idea to ensure that I set it up for success so that 18 months, they're not looking at me and say, I told you so. I told you you're going to fall. Lastly, it's about this notion of holding each other and one another finally accountable. You can only do that when in good companies, the CEO holds everybody finally accountable. But in healthy organizations, every single solitary one, including the cleaner and the tea lady, can hold the CEO finally accountable because all of us jointly own this company. We share the same vision, the same dream, the same future. And therefore, this is as much our company as it belongs to anybody else. I want to bring this down to a small business owner that's sitting here and saying, I want to have influence as a, as a leader. And just maybe we've got two minutes left around maybe one or two practical, really practical steps for a small business to take so that I, with my five people or my ten people, can now get the, this to be a sailboat and, and a yacht, not, not a motorboat. You see, the way I think about it philosophically is to say, once you have tasted significance, you will never be happy with just being important. Therefore, practically, what does it mean if I'm a small uh, business operator? I would say, first and foremost, I will divide my life into three components. The first third, I am learning, even from my own business. The second, third, I am now earning money because I've learned, now I've got an income from my own business, and so do my people. The last third is to start sharing. Share what I've learned, share the money that I have, share the experience that I have, share the risks that have gone through to shorten the learning curves of others. Sometimes small business owners don't look at themselves as mentors and coaches. Mm -hmm. And the best way to coach is when you take your first step, you start thinking about it. When you take your second step, you lift as you rise. Therefore, you don't wait until you have reached the pinnacle. That is why giving, sharing is as important when you are growing and making your wealth as much as you are now a very wealthy philanthropist because I don't know any poor philanthropist. Lastly, my grandmother used to say, you know, when you give 
time, you give a lot. When you give money, you give much. But if you give of yourself, you give everything. In small business, you add the business. When you leave, it grinds to a halt. Can you give of yourself everything in that business so that your people know that you are a good shepherd, that they can trust you, that they will do with this business as much as you do, if not better, and that they feel trusted. Therefore, you have taken the authority, you have delegated to them, then you are setting yourself up to grow for the next phase because one of the biggest challenges in small businesses is that they don't scale. And the scaling starts here by letting go. I could sit and listen to you all day, but that's uh, all we've got time for for today. Uh, Bonang Mahale, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and learning from your wisdom. So you have shared with us your wisdom and shared with South Africa and given of yourself. Thank you so much. Lord, thank you. Well, that's it for our leadership slot for today. Uh, do stay tuned to find out what's coming up next. So we understand that that power. And as we grow a bit bigger as businesses, you're leveraging not just your network, you're leveraging your influence, perhaps. As you might have noticed over the last couple of weeks, I've got an issue with saying welcome back because you never went anywhere. It's us who have uh, come back. So we want to welcome ourselves back. It's Kumaran and I here, and we are talking about finance for small businesses. Today we're going to talk about a very important subject, which is leverage. Now, leverage is one of those things. It's one of those like, pieces of magic in business that if you get it, it can completely change your fortune, it can completely change your future. Somebody who I deeply respect is Kumaran, and Kumaran has used this in his part. And many years ago, in a, in a different context, Kumaran actually did a one-hour presentation to myself and a few other people on the concept uh, and the power of, of leverage. And we've only got a few minutes, we've got about 10 minutes today, and I'm going to ask him today to talk about something that actually once I understood it, actually completely changed the way that I, I operated my business. So thank you, and I'm hoping that I give you enough time in 10 minutes to talk about something you can talk about for an hour. Sure, let's try. So before we talk about leverage in finance and financing terms in the business, let's talk it at a more abstract, uh, higher level. As entrepreneurs, I think, not think, intuitively, we may not understand it technically. Intuitively, we understand this thing of leverage because we are leveraging our network. When we start off, we don't have much cash or investment. We start off with a few little bit of resources and we have a network base. And we're leveraging that network. I'm calling Elon, do you know this person? Can you intro me? That's an example of me leveraging my network to get into something else and we convert that into a sale or a contract or whatever it is. So we understand that that power and as we grow a bit bigger as businesses you're leveraging not just your network you're leveraging your influence perhaps sometimes it's the power of your influence that can be leveraged you and I know some very wealthy people that do deals just on leveraging their, their influence mm -hmm. uh, and, and power 
And then on the on 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 funding, often we think that we need um, to have the entire amount of money to buy something or to invest in something. But let's look at a simple thing that we will all know as consumers or individuals is that when we buy a property, there's leverage there. You're buying an asset that has value, it has a market value. Let's say you're buying this thing for a million rand, but the bank knows if you put it in an auction for sale, they maybe get 90% for it. So they will ask you for a 10% deposit. Now you're only putting 100,000 rand down. But you're getting something to the value of a million rand. A million rand. Yes. Right. And so that's the power of leverage. Think of a swing, you know what I mean? It's a balancing kind of thing. And when you put a weight on it on one side, it lifts. So what is it that you're putting here that can lift it? So in that property transaction, your 10% deposit and the fact that you're buying something that has a secondary value lifts that, allows you to borrow uh, that kind of money. But if you're buying something that's not a property, you know, it's, it's, it's got no value in it. You probably can't get away with the same dynamic of leverage. Then let's take another example. Sometimes someone is buying a business and let's say the tab is 50 million rand to buy the business. You don't have to put 50 million rand down or, you know, from your own kind of resources. Often people are borrowing, there's different kinds of instruments that they're using. They're putting a small contribution down, they're leveraging the, that business that they're acquiring, the cash flows and the assets in that business. Maybe there's a building in that business, maybe there's plant and equipment, maybe there's a whole lot of debtors, and maybe it's making a profit of X a year that's, that's delivering so much of cash flow. And so in a way, in a loose way, that's like a building, isn't it? Because this is a building with tenants, that business. It's, it's got those assets and it's got those, uh, that cash flow that's coming from the profits is almost like the tenant's lease. So in a weird way, you're leveraging that with the bank to borrow and you're only putting your 10 or 20% down. I'm simplifying it, but that's the power of leverage. Now, this can be abused to take on a lot more risk, a lot more gambling than one should. And the banks and funders around the world were supportive of that. And we've all, everyone's learned the lesson and perhaps a bit more tempered And, that, and that's a global financial crisis, right? In a way, yes. Okay. Yes, it was over leverage. Over leverage. So, so it's a continuum. I think it can be a sin and in one way. And it also, if it's not used wisely with discernment, you know, it, it can, once you pass that point, it can be taking on too much debt and taking on too much risk for you as the entrepreneur. But otherwise it can be done you're working with other people's money, you know. Mm. That's what leverage is. So how just practically, I'm a small business, I'm maybe doing five million rand a year, right? How, how just, just practically, how do I use this concept in, in my day-to-day -day as a small business? Or is this the only for, for bigger businesses? No, it can, it, you know, it's, it, it, it's easier for bigger businesses, but for small businesses, definitely. So uh, let's say, let me use a practical example of how I think a business, smaller business can do this. Let's assume the business is uh, in a stable phase. In other words, it's past the startup phase. It knows now that uh, it's got 20 or 50 staff and it knows it's likely to add maybe another 10 or 20% more in the next five years. So it may say, well, I think I should buy this building I should, uh, instead of renting it. So then if they've got a little bit to put down a deposit, then the bank will fund the rest now they've used leverage once to buy the building that they're in. But there's multiple concepts of leverage here because what they've done is they've leveraged the fact that they're a tenant and they can influence their lease to also be the landlord. So that's one level of them leveraging. They're wearing two hats. 
he's a tenant operating the business plus he can potentially be the landlord so that's first of all he's leveraging the two hats that he's wearing then he goes to the bank puts on a deposit to buy the building and the bank puts the majority of the money that's the second aspect of leverage in this thing now the third aspect comes along that after a while that property is now freehold in other words, if let's say it was 10 million rand and he put a 20% deposit and the bank gave him 80%, let's say after five or six years it's free old. Now, and let's assume the property never grew. So after five or six years, that property, it's 10 million rand. Whether he's got it in another company or in the same company he's operating, he's got a 10 million rand free old asset. Now for his next expansion plan, he can leverage that even further. He can say, I want to buy out my two competitors, it's 30 million rand, and by the way, besides what's happening there, uh, here's this property I can put on the table, Mr. Bank. Do you see the three examples of leverage at stage one, two, and three, how I've given, and, and that's a practical way of how business can think. And what are you speaking about here is also the fact that there, there is a virtuous cycle. It's for as long as the underlying business keeps generating a return, you can get a faster and faster and faster return yes. by using leverage. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There is a technical definition which I've tried to avoid because our audience is SMEs and and entrepreneurs, it's generally the debt to equity ratio. What you're putting down determines how much you can you can get. But I've stayed away from that because I think the way I've explained it is a way that our audience and ourselves as entrepreneurs understand it. Come on, uh, once again, I just love the way that you you make things so simple. And uh, just for just to remind you that this this is not the technical definition. This is how we as small businesses can use leverage. And, and one of the most important places, just to sum up, is in terms of our property that we, we purchase, and number two, in terms of perhaps buying uh, competitors and understanding how to do that using the concept of leverage. That's it uh, for uh, this uh, part of the show. Please stay tuned to hear some of my reflections on our entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for our impressions for today. And back in our impressions uh, chair alongside me is Kumaran Padiachi, of course, our finance guru uh, from Spartan SME. Finance. I got it right. We're talking about focus. Yes. This issue about focus does come up. We see it in interviews a lot, right? And the thing that uh, strikes me on reflection is that I think people, ourselves included, do not understand uh, what is the consequence of a lack of focus. Why Why does one advocate focus? Because a, f a lack of focus comes with a cost. It comes with a cost of results. Uh, the reality is we don't have all the capacity we need to do five different things. We've got a limited c capacity. So a focus gives you the ability to succeed in one thing exceptionally well, leveraging those capacity. The second is for me, uh, mastery. Mm. It's impossible to become a master of five things, you know. Um, and so that's the other build-up. There's a multiply effect to mastery that is invisible. You can't see that. That's a, almost like a, a lotto part to the formula, isn't it? And you look at uh, Olympic swimmers. They don't say, I'm going to do swimming and running and this, that. They choose swimming. And even within swimming, they choose a particular speciality. Is it 100 meters or is it a particular stroke? And it's like, okay, it's a 100 meter freestyle is what's going to get me the gold. And so the focus is like even hyper, uh, you know, and, and, and 
it allows you to be a master of that and allows for the obsession. And the obsession and the, and the mastery, like I said, has a multiplier effect in, 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 in my mind. And the market also gets to know you for what mm. you're, we know, okay, this guy is known for golf, Tiger Woods is known for golf, or Racecorp is known for that. If Racecorp is doing 16 things, mm. how can it be known in the market as the go-to person for what? Mm. So these are, the, these are some of the reasons why focus is important. Yeah, for me, I've got uh, three points here. First of all, is the, the, the myth. I spoke about the myth um, of, uh, of too many, many uh, well, fishing rods. There yes. are, the word yeah. came out. Yeah. Fishing rods in the sea. Um, and so I catch more fish. And I see a desperation with entrepreneurs where they do it out of desperation with the, the, the myth, the mythology that if I've got more, I'm more likely to catch. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, and then the one thing that came up also for me was about the concept of reframing. I think when you talk about focus, it's about reframing. You'll remember in the G book with uh, um, Jack, Welch. Jack Welch, she spoke about the fact that when he was number one and number two in the industry, he went to that, uh, that general and he said, what do I do now? I said, well, redefine your market. It was about a reframing story. So for me, well, which is the means to, what is the means, what's the end? And so that's the end I'm focusing on. And this can become the means to an end, but that becomes the focal point. And you don't necessarily have to throw out everything, but you have to realign it in yes. terms of where you're focusing. And the last thing is uh, saying no is more important than saying yes in a growing business. Saying no is more important. And not, not many people uh, do that well. We were just talking in the break about, you know, I was so upset because one of my team members was saying I must walk away from a deal and I hate it. And I, but I we remember that the, the, we had 11 deals today and we walked away from, from 10 out of 11 because I didn't fit what we, exactly what we do. So I'm learning still after all these years to say no. But uh, that's it. Anything else from you? No. Well, that's focus right there. Well, that's it for our impressions for today. Uh, do remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. And this is our panel section, and uh, in studio with us we have our two gurus with me. We have Mona Lisa Sam, who is our marketing guru. Welcome Hi. back. Thank you, Alon. Okay. And we have Kumaran Padiachi, our finance guru. I suppose you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you don't, Jim <laughs> Kumar. <laughs> I suppose you don't. <laughs> Phone. That silly thing, right? Yeah. Is she listening? What is she doing? She listens to conversation. I suppose you don't. <laughs> well, that was perfect. For every business challenge, there's a solution. The Big Small Business Show is made possible by MTN Business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.